This is With Intrepid Heart Sermons, sermons by Rev. Adam Moline of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our gospel lesson begins with these words, a dispute also arose among the disciples. And it's really too bad that our gospel lesson starts there and not a few verses earlier. Because right before our gospel lesson for tonight, the apostles had the Lord's Supper for the very first time. Christ instituted it, in fact, giving his body and blood in, with, and under bread and wine. What's more, Jesus did so as he was preparing to be arrested, tried, crucified. It's with that in mind that he broke the bread after giving thanks and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And it's with this in mind that likewise he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Then our gospel lesson starts. You see how interesting it is? They had just eaten the body and sipped the blood of Jesus. The body and blood that soon would hang on the cross. For what reason? To forgive them all of their sins. To forgive all the sins of the world, in fact. In the Lord's Supper... The disciples were intimately united with God. It is a real, true communion. And no sooner had they partaken of this great gift of God that the argument began. Now, to be sure, the argument begins actually with the question about who's going to be the worst of them. Who's going to be the one who betrays Jesus? Who is going to hand him over? Which one of you is it? Surely it's not I, Lord. Surely I'm not the worst. This conversation about the worst soon changes to a conversation about the best. Well, if I'm not the worst... Maybe I'm the best. If he's the worst, then maybe you're the best. One of us, twelve, has to be the greatest disciple. Maybe it will be Peter. Maybe it will be John. Maybe it will even be little old Nathaniel Bartholomew. Nathaniel, son of the furrows. Disciples actually have already had this argument. They've already had this argument in the Gospel of Luke, no less. 
In chapter 9, the same argument occurred. And Jesus took a little child and put the child into their midst and says, Whoever receives this child in my name, that one is the greatest. Oh, by the way, they had this argument another time also. You see, James and John and their mother get in on the action. Mrs. Zebedee comes up to Jesus in Matthew's gospel and asks if her sons, John and James, can sit at the right and left hand of Christ when he becomes king of Israel. Right and left hands, you know, places of honor, places that you put the greatest, places you put the most important. Mrs. Zebedee thought her sons were the greatest. Jesus tells her those places of honor are not for him to grant. For the Father has prepared those places for those who could drink the cup that Christ drank. They just drank from the cup, didn't they? They just had the very first service of the sacrament. They just had the Lord's Supper instituted in their presence on Monday, Thursday, But the argument from the past continues. Who's the greatest? I'm sure in their own minds, they all had their own arguments about why it was them. Peter, well, I confess Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. The response, well... You also were rebuked by Jesus. Get thee behind me, Satan. John, could he be the greatest? He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. But he was the youngest, the younger brother of James, still untested. Could Matthew be the greatest? He left behind a lucrative job collecting taxes to follow Jesus. But tax collectors, aren't they just cheats and liars and crooked? I mean, do you like dealing with the IRS? Maybe Philip was the greatest. After all, he began the mission work of the church. He saw his friend Nathaniel Bartholomew sitting under a fig tree and said, I've found the Christ. Come and see. Or maybe, just maybe, Bartholomew's the greatest. Have you ever seen a painting or a statue of Bartholomew? He was skinned alive. For confessing Christ. He's always painted or carved, holding his skin in his hands, but still pointing to Jesus. Who's 
the greatest. Who's the best of all the disciples? The argument has happened in the past. It's happening in our gospel lesson. In the worship service, right after the Lord's Supper. Jesus won't have any of that nonsense. Who's the greatest? It's the wrong question. Jesus says this, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. And those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. In other words, sinful people worry about who's the greatest and who's the least. Who's the best and who's the worst. But not Christians. Not so with you. After all, you already know the answer. Who is the greatest? Not Peter, not John, not Philip, not Matthew, not Bartholomew, but Jesus. If the one who is least on earth is greatest in the kingdom of heaven, then Jesus is the greatest. After all, it's Jesus who will shed his blood, who will die, who will rise again from the dead. It's Jesus who is God in the flesh, perfect, holy, unstained, righteous. It's Jesus who will fulfill all of the Old Testament. It's Jesus who is the foundation for all of the New Testament. He's the one that all the Bible is about. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And he will reign forever and ever and ever. Just like Revelation records and Handel sings for us, in his Messiah. Jesus. Jesus is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The disciples have asked a question that confessed their sinful nature, their lack of faith, and their misunderstanding of the kingdom of God. And that's why it's sad to say, isn't it, that sometimes we get in the same argument. We ask the same question, don't we? Which one of you is the greatest? Even here in the church, we 
within the congregation of those who gather around the altar where Christ's body and blood are delivered, that question gets asked. Just like the apostles, it often begins with the opposite question. Who's the worst that's here? Well, did you hear about so-and-so? Their daughter is living in sin. Well, his son does drugs. That person got fired from their job. I've never seen Bill put money in the offering plate. Not even once. George was raised a Baptist, not even Lutheran. He wasn't baptized as a baby, but instead as a preteen. Then the argument changes, right? From who's the worst to who's the best? Did you know that I have been a successful businessman for decades? I have a giant 401k, a nice car, a big house. And without my offering, this congregation just couldn't stay open. Oh yeah, well... I've attended dozens of district conventions. I've even attended a synod convention. I served on a board. I was president of the LLL or the LWML. I'm in the Rotary Club. I've served in elected office. I have 34 grandchildren, and they all go to church. I'm the proud parent of an honor roll student. I sit in the front pew. I sit in the back pew. I serve in the congregation. I do this, I do that. I'm the best. What would Christ say? What word? Would he speak? You've already heard it. The Gentiles lord it over one another, but not so among you. You see, all of these things, they're self justification. 
They're all worldly focused. They're not focused on the things of God. In fact, they avoid the words of Jesus in tonight's gospel lesson. Let the greatest among you become as the youngest, the least, and the leader as one who serves. After all, our worldly accomplishments, as great as they may sound, as much as we may trumpet them, not a one of them will actually save us. All they do is distract us from the words of Jesus. All they do is confuse the gifts we receive. Take our mind off the fact that we eat the body and drink the blood of God for forgiveness, life, and salvation. In our gospel lesson, the disciples are so self-obsessed that they seem to have missed the point of all that Jesus has said right before he goes to the cross. Is our sinful nature that different? Do you understand how precious the sacrament of the altar is? Eating and drinking from this altar brings us forgiveness of all of our sin, big, small, and everywhere in between. It gives us life, eternal life. It is, in a sense, the fountain of youth. And where there is forgiveness of sins and life, Well, we call that salvation. Oh, and P.S., that's not the only gift we get. We have the font before our eyes where we were washed in Christ, clothed with his righteousness. We hear the word that comes to our ears right here. Jesus gives himself to you. He pours out mercy upon you. He shows his love to you. He makes you Christian. Right here. In fact, you could say he gives all that he has to you. And when he's given all that he has to you, what's left? He is the least. Being the least, he is the greatest servant of all. His body is yours for food. His blood is yours for drink. His word brings the spirit to you. Let's close. They cast lots. His life poured out as a ransom for many. He dies to give you everything. 
He rises from the dead to declare that truth to you. Because he lives, you will live forever. And then he'll serve you always, just like he serves you right here, right now. Who's the greatest? Who's the best? It's not you. It's not me. It's definitely not the vicar. It's Jesus. He's the greatest in love, the greatest in compassion, the greatest in holiness, the greatest in glory, the greatest in power, the greatest in service, the greatest in giving, the greatest in sustaining. He's the greatest, and he gives all for you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This has been With Intrepid Hearts Sermons by Pastor Adam Moline. The words, with intrepid hearts, come from the conclusion to the Book of Concord where it is written, By God's grace, with intrepid hearts, we are willing to appear before the judgment seat of Christ with this confession, and give an account of it. We will not speak or write anything contrary to this confession, either publicly or privately. By the strength of God's grace, we intend to abide by it. <laughs>